You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. To Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Wisconsin. Joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of Brew Hoop. You know what I was thinking about, Frank? I should actually say the co founder of Brew Hoop because our good friend Alex Boulder also did that with you, right? Indeed, he did. Long, long, long lost uh, co founder uh, Alex Boulder. Now, now long time Bucks.com writer Alex Boulder. Shout out to Alex. He's the best. He's one of my favorite people. Um, so I, I was just thinking about that. I keep saying founder, and it's easier, um, so I'm going to keep doing it. But really, you are, you're you the co-founder with Alex, um, who is delightful. And also delightful, the Milwaukee Bucks winning another game. An evening in the series at two apiece. Bucks win 104-102 on Sunday afternoon. What's going through your head right now, Frank? This felt a lot more like the kind of game the Bucks would have to win this weekend. Um they did not have a huge uh, advantage from three. They did not have a huge advantage from mid-range tonight. They were actually outscored by eight from the mid-range. They were even from the three-point line, and it felt like uh, the three-point line was not going in their favor late in that game as uh, Jalen Brown in particular started to rain down three. So, um, yeah, I mean, this this kind of felt like what I expected more of in game three where you know maybe the Bucks build up a lead but then have, have a hard time holding it. I think we've seen that from the Bucks. Let's be honest. I don't know how many times this year. Um, and after so the game, this, Matt and I were talking, and Matt's like, "Everyone's kind of." He's like, "People are like freaking out and talking about how nervous they were and all that stuff." And he's like, "I've seen that game fifteen times this year." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, that that's definitely the script." And you know, it's it's been interesting that the Bucks for much of the year did have pretty good clutch numbers. You know, in spite of themselves, it, it seemed yeah. like. Um, but uh, tonight, obviously. You know, it got gut check time pretty early in the fourth quarter, and you know, credit to the Bucks for for actually making plays, primarily on the offensive end, um, hitting some big shots. You know, Giannis hitting some big shots, huge poster dunk on Horford, um, but also credit to the to the Celtics. I mean, they didn't go away, and and they had a chance to tie it. But um, you know, uh, probably the biggest play of this game was a breakout chance for Jalen Brown. What they're up one uh, inside yep. the final minute. And, Chris Middleton rips him on the break, starts the other way. Giannis drives, creates some dis- some disarray, passes out to Bledsoe immediately to Brogdon, and just, I mean, a season-saving potential three from Alcum Brogdon in the corner to make it 102-100. And again, that didn't that was not the final scoring of the game, but I just thought that was such a huge basket, you know, potentially taking the game from Celtics really moving out in front and and having a chance to kind of salt it away versus the Bucks moving back and putting the pressure back on Boston. So that was big. And then such what a, was stranger? Was say, such a huge pass from Bledsoe. Yeah. I mean, yeah. for him this year to throw in on target, touch pass, no look, like he, he caught and just immediately just flick of the wrist over to Brogdon. That, 
there's been so many passes that he's struggled with, and we'll talk about that as uh, we talk about the end of this game. But, man, I, I just thought for Bledsoe to make that play, and, again, that's not going to – we're not going to look back at the box score and have that assist in particular uh, circled. But I just thought it was such a huge play on target, on time, for Brogdon to obviously hit a huge shot, which he's now done in – game one and game four and probably the strangest aspect of this game is that the bucks grab one offensive rebound in the first 47 minutes and then end up winning the game because Giannis uh, is able to to use that big left mid of his and, and tap in a Brogdon floater I thought that was certainly not what I would have expected if if I was told this game was going to end on an offensive rebound um, Boston had so many second chances and reloads tonight bucks had basically none and um you know, credit to Giannis. He had a, a really big fourth quarter, uh, and and no nothing bigger than than that left hand just getting enough of it to to tip it in and um, inside the final minute give him that that final advantage that that obviously stood up. A, a nice little encapsulation of the Bucks season, I thought, in in that play. You you see the Bucks run the play that they always run in that situation. Bledsoe, Giannis, pick and roll. And I think initially it's supposed to be close to the middle of the floor, and then Giannis pushed everything over to the left side. And left side clear, Bledsoe, Giannis, run it. Giannis gets the switch, and Bledsoe cannot make the pass. He just can't. He tried it earlier. He turned it over about 30 seconds before that on the exact same play. Same scenario, has a chance to lob it up to Giannis to attempt to take advantage of the mismatch. Can't get to it kicks it over to the right side, somehow gets in Malcolm Brogdon's hands, and credit to Malcolm that just kind of cold with poor spacing because it's him, Middleton, and Jabari or Thon. I can't remember who is in that right-hand corner, but those three over there, and Brogdon has to make something of it. Like he had to somehow get himself to the basket, and it didn't look good at the start of his drive. Like It, it was a very well-covered play by the Celtics, and then just enough from Brogdon that with that left hand he could just happen to get it up to the glass and obviously Giannis is there to make a huge play and um, I know we were trying to get at it uh, during the postgame press conference with Giannis and with Joe Prunty and with Chris and with Malcolm and with Eric like all those guys I just think it's obviously it's not a surprise at this point we've watched enough games of Giannis Dedekumbo to know that he will be there and to know that he will be able to tip it in. But the fact that that's unknown, like that's a thing that we are for sure aware is going to happen, that Giannis will be in that position, that if the ball comes off right, and maybe if it doesn't come off right, Giannis will be there, he'll be he'll be in position, and he'll be able to finish it. And it's something I think uh, I was talking to, I'm trying to think who about this. Um, that's where Giannis gets a bunch of points. Like, we, we don't really recognize it. Like, at the end of the night, you'll see Giannis had an efficient night, and you'll, you'll think, how did he score? And there's just so many rebounds that come off on the offensive end that he just happens to be around, and it won't be a crazy dunk. It won't be a highlight dunk. It'll just be he's around, dunks it. He's around, rebound, layup. He's around, grab it, just a, a two-hand Walton dunk, just set it over the rim and go the other way. 
those happen so often and uh, I just thought it was uh, just kind of interesting to see it happen in that situation because he's there so often and for that to be how the Bucks win the game um, just felt perfect because one they they couldn't get him the ball they 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 wanted Giannis to get the ball and they, they always run these sets with the best intention but somehow I shouldn't say somehow because they don't execute well because Bledsoe can't make that lob pass uh, because of a million reasons. Giannis doesn't get the ball, but just through sheer will, uh, he finds a way to get the ball and hit the shot that puts them up. Yeah, and uh, again, I mean, I think the most interesting thing about this game was um, Giannis and Chris maybe not quite as good as they've been at times in the series today. I think Giannis sort of definitely came up big. Um, in the fourth quarter, I mean, Chris still a really efficient night. I mean, 23 points on 14 shots. I mean, no complaints about Chris Middleton's night overall. Um, two blocks, two steals. As you mentioned, that huge play in the final minute on Jalen Brown. Um, but again, like uh, those guys, I mean, they put up bigger numbers in the first two games, right? They put up bigger numbers in the first two games and the Bucks lost. And so I think when you talk about the story of this game, we haven't talked about the bench yet. Um, but those guys for the second straight game. And again, like I would not have put money if, if you told me on, uh, you know, going into Friday's game that Jabari Parker and Thon maker would be actually big <laughs> difference makers, um, on, on both ends for long stretches, you know, I mean, what, what would we, what would we ever have based that on? Right. I mean, Jabari Parker, he made a couple bad plays in the second half defensively, but I mean, in the first half, I mean, that had to be the greatest first half of the, de- you know, one half of defense from Jabari Parker in Best his half of life. His life period. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, he had two steals, three blocks. Um, I think, you know, again, they benefited from the fact that the Celtics seemed to get overly sort of um, fixated on attacking him. Yep. And, you know, it's kind of this thing that really started a couple of years ago, this idea of, you know, maybe you're better off hiding Jabari on the ball than off it. Um, you know, Morris, Tatum, Jalen Brown, like they all took turns trying to attack him and he moved his feet well. He stayed down. Um, and then challenge shots. I mean, he had a block on Greg Monroe. Um, he was intelligent with using his hands. You, you know, again, picked up a couple fouls, but overall, um, you know, his his gambles tonight were smart ones. Had a, another pass that he intercepted um, on a, a pick and roll where they didn't switch, and, and he stayed with his man. So, um, you know, again, it starts with the defense for the second straight game for Jabari. Two bad plays from him in the second half. Horford had that one, like, coast-to-coast dunk out of a, dead ball where i mean the whole bucks team was caught unaware but jabari i don't think saw anything he was i think down in the paint and and when thon got blown by um didn't even realize what was happening and then in the fourth quarter um ball got tipped and kind of squirted out to the corner and i forget if it was rosier who was out there but jabari just really didn't react at all and got an open look for a three but um for the most part you know again jabari kind of let the game come to him got to the line six free throw attempts tonight hit four hits a couple threes tonight you know his jumper was a little bit better tonight than it has been and again you know not really like it's not like they're running tons of plays but he's just active on both ends and that's the best possible version of Jabari Parker you could be asking for right now and again him and Thon who I think we need to talk about separately um Thon's impact on the defensive end again tonight um hit a couple threes it's just big yeah a couple things there one I think Jabari ends the second half with one point um, maybe a rebound. Everything else in the in the first half, uh, I didn't think it was quite as good in the second half. But I mean, that first half was, like I said, the best half Jabari has played, and I it's not close. Like I 
I can't even think of another half to put on par with that one. And I totally agree with what you said about the ISOs. And we're going to talk about that here in a second. But I thought over and over again, the Celtics got switches. And instead of punishing those switches, uh, and so often, this is what we talk about with the Bucks, right? The Bucks get a switch and then they try to ISO it or they try to post it up or they just don't really make that that switch and make that other team pay for that switch. And uh, I mean, uh, to me, that's that's this series right now is the Bucks got two games at home because the Celtics didn't know how to react to all of their switching. And after the game, I asked Giannis about the switching and he said that uh, this is quote earlier. I was talking with Chris about the switches and he said something that is really important. That really made sense. When we switch, they play ISO game and that's not what Boston wants to do. Boston wants to move the ball, play set games and execute. So by switching, we make them play one-on-one. So that's what we want them to do. And I mean, I just thought throughout that entire first half, you just saw it over and over again. And uh, I thought it was especially true with Jabari that Morris for some reason, well, I shouldn't say for some reason, because this is the player that Marcus Morris is. As soon as he saw Jabari switch, as soon as he saw Jabari on him, he was going to try to take him one-on-one. And again and again, he just came up empty handed and there, there just wasn't anything there for him to really exploit because Jabari had done such a nice job. Um, And I thought similarly with Thon, a lot of times when they get the switch, it was okay. Let's ISO this guy. Well, Don's Don's pretty good at if there's plenty of times that the both of those guys have struggled, but on the ball isn't one of them. And I thought the big thing to me would be in game five is how does Brad Stevens and how do the Celtics force Thon and Jabari to play in space? Because that's when that's when the struggles happen, right? That's when they don't execute the, a switch right. That's when they don't chase through a screen right. That's when they don't get to the right spot on a post up. Like all of those things happen when they have to play in space. But if they're on the ball, they're both they both tend to be engaged and they both tend to be able to move their feet and stay in front of guys or in Thon's case, uh, let them sneak by and then throw one off the glass like that those are things that both those guys do. So uh, I think that's going to be really interesting. But like you said, Jabari Parker, first half, I mean, I, I was a little bit concerned on one of the first couple possessions. He had one of those possessions that you don't like to see. He was just kind of floating around like the left wing. Giannis had the ball in the middle of the floor and he kind of floated into the middle and then uh, he was just so in the way that Giannis was just like, okay, I'm going to pass you the ball because clearly like you want it or you're not going to get out of my way. So let's just like, whatever, just have it because you're in my way. And he did that. And then as I watched, I was like, Oh no, like that's, that's bad Jabari. That's the guy that you don't want to see. And then uh, to his credit, I, I thought really in, in the coming mo in the coming moments, in the coming minutes, he kind of got back to that other guy that was cutting, that was going to the right spots, that wasn't just floating aimlessly in the middle. Like Things were done with purpose, and when things are done with purpose by Jabari Parker, it goes really well. He's super talented, um, so that can work out. And I just thought one, one play that exemplified that was when he saw Giannis was out front, he was sort of trailing, but – 
what he's done so often this year is when he's trailing, like he'll just like kind of like hang back for that trailer three or maybe just for a touch, like, and there's no purpose. And today he saw it at, at half court or so he was kind of thinking about doing that. And then he just split right through the middle, ran as hard as he could. I think it was Brogdon that kind of gave him a touch pass around the center circle. He takes one dribble and you're thinking, Oh, like, cause you could see the lane kind of open up like, Oh, he's going to try to dunk on it. And one dribble, touch pass, Giannis, dunk. And you're like, did that just happen? That was that was perfect. Like that everything with purpose, one dribble, didn't get in too deep, didn't get himself into the air, makes a nice pass and a Giannis Dunka. And I just thought that to me exemplified the first half for Jabari Parker. Things done with purpose, things done uh that make a lot of sense. And I, I again, best half I've I've ever seen him play. Yeah, second half. Um he did have four points late in the third quarter. When Boston started to make a run, he had a nice oh, yeah. yank on yep. on Shane on Shane Larkin, drew a foul, um, and then had a had a I think he had a jumper around that similar time. So Why did he I think did he have had fifteen first half. He he only had nah, twelve. Yeah. So I mean, he did he did you know he and again he didn't play for much of the fourth, um, with with the Bucks going with Thon, and that's the thing too. I mean. You know, again, if if the idea is that Thon, that uh, Jabari needs to be like closing every game, I mean, I just say like they're just it's not going to be the smartest move every game even when he's playing well um you know you know you want Chris and Giannis out there um you know that you want you know if if you need a shot blocker and you're not going to wanting to go small when Thon is playing like this I mean you want Thon out there right as as your third front court player and then obviously you tend to want um a couple of guards you know Bledsoe again tough night for Bledsoe um he did make uh, a number I think he what had did he have seven of his nine points in the fourth quarter um hit a hit a big three um, made two out of three on a when he suckered uh, it was a Rozier or or Morris Rozier, into yeah. into uh, fouling him on a three point shot and then also got thrown for a layup so you know some 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 very kind of like you know um, blood so so or casual blood so moments um, yeah. as well but at, at least he saved some of his his moments for the fourth quarter um, and if if you're that officiating crew how do you call that one after swallowing your whistles for the entirety of the game. I I was just shocked that they allowed the game to become so physical. And obviously you kind of saw the byproduct of that with Baines and Thon throwing each other down a couple times and uh, just generally um, physical play, which in a game four, you're going to expect, right? Like two, one, both teams know pretty much everything is on the line. Like you're going to expect some of that, but man, I just thought they got to, to such an uncomfortable spot there where it just kind of became out of control. And, I mean, you saw it in the final minute. Giannis goes up, he gets hit, no foul call. Celtics go the other way. Middleton gets a strip. And, I mean, from my vantage point, it looked like he kind of got some body. And certainly in a game that had been called tighter, I think you see a foul call there. But instead, everyone they let everyone play and just kind of move on. And I don't know. I just thought, I thought that game got – out of control and borderline dangerous as that game moved on just because they weren't calling anything. And then when they were calling things, they were just kind of guessing at stuff. Um, yeah. Wait, wait, which, which you're not saying you were surprised by blood. So the blood. So three though, right. And that was a clear foul, right? That was one of the few yeah, clear ones. Yeah. yeah but yeah. like when okay. you, but when you've gone so far calling so many other, like letting so much other stuff go, like that was a foul. Don't get me wrong, but like they've let so much other stuff go. 
um, at, at that point. It was just kind of strange, like, some of the stuff that they did call. Like, I think of Giannis's fourth. It just looked like, well, maybe there's contact. The ball went up in the air between them, so we'll go with that one. And um, I'm trying to think of it. There was another one that was kind of – oh, the Delhi one where he fell, falls over, and they bail him out with a call there. And, uh, I mean, in that play alone, there had been three defensive movements more physical by the Celtics. And I don't know. it. I, I did not think the officials did a very good job, and that went both ways. There was calls on both sides that were missed. Yeah, and I mean, ultimately, you know, Bucks were had three more fouls today for the weekend. I think the differential was fifty-one to thirty-six. I think mm. um, in terms of total fouls called over the weekend in favor of Boston. So again, Bucks, you know, and some of that's probably you know obviously Bucks not being smart, but certainly the you know if Bill Simmons and company are going to act like the Celtics got screwed out of foul calls, I mean, <laughs> give me a break, right? Um, I mean, in that last in that last quarter. Middleton clearly got his his left arm ripped when by Horford when he went up and should have had a layup no call Snell got his jersey pulled on a fast break that you know was one of a number of botched fast breaks the Bucks God, had I just forgot and, about that play yeah and I don't I didn't see the a replay on the Giannis um that Giannis play but just the way the ball um the way the ball came out of his hand I think it because one thing I always look at and um I would hope officials do something similar you know like when you see a guy a defender slap down on the ball or slap down on a guy as he's going up. If the ball goes up in the air, the guy didn't get the ball. <laughs> you know, like yep. it's basic physics, right? Like if you hack down on a guy when he's going up for a shot and the ball continues to go upwards, that means you took away his hand, but not you didn't hit the ball, right? And I'm surprised that you still see pretty regularly in games, guys will get fouls called on them when they kind of rip down and hit the ball and hit the ball down. But then sometimes, you know, guys won't get called when they hit down on the ball and the ball goes up. It's like uh, basic physics. I don't know. Like it, <laughs> it seems like that's that's like a pretty easy like kind of rule to follow. So, yeah, I mean, I agree that there was stuff. There was definitely some stuff going both ways. Um, but I agree. I mean, the, the officials really didn't have much of a hole on this game. We saw um, things boil over a couple times. What we saw Middleton and, and Morris get double taxed pretty early in the game for something that I, I didn't even really I mean, it wasn't like a physical confrontation. I don't think I, it was Morris really... was involved. So I assumed it occurred. Yeah. Like, that, yeah. That's just a general rule for me. Like if Marcus Morris is around something and double technicals get called, yeah, it was probably warranted. Yeah. Well, and, and you know what? Shout out to Chris Middleton for many things. But Middleton coming back after that second game, him game game two, him and Morris go at it um, late. Middleton misses a couple free throws. Morris, you know, had that comment after the game about like, oh, you know, sort of like kind of like tamping it down by saying, oh, me and Chris go way back. But then he adds that, oh, I've been kicking his ass since back in Kansas. I was at Kansas and he yeah. was at AM. Um, so Marcus Morris trying to like play that game. And again, the Morris brothers are, are criminals. Um, some things they've been literal convicted criminals. Of. Some things they've been convicted of, other things they haven't. Um, but uh, today and yet and Friday, Marcus Morris um, was bad. I mean, you yep. know, today fourteen shots, thirteen points, four out of fourteen. Um, the Bucks, uh, you know, can we can we maybe throw Joe Prenti some love for that last play call because Absolutely. Brogdon switches and the last play of the game goes to Marcus Morris defended by Chris Middleton when Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum had been cooking all, you know all fourth quarter and the Bucks end up you know basically forcing a really difficult contested mid-range shot from Marcus Morris who 
who's been bad for two straight games. And again, Morris can make those shots. We know that. But um, you'd live with that shot any day. And, you know, wow. again, the Bucks out outfoxing uh, the Celtics in a late game situation. So, I again, wish- like. Sorry. Um, I wish I could talk to Sean Sweeney. Uh, Bucks assistants are always, and I mean NBA assistants in general, are kind of off limits. But there, that was another time where um, I'm trying to. There was a game earlier this year where Sweeney from the bench yelled something at Chris, and they switched the the, the responsibilities that they had as the play was coming out, um, and then Chris kind of ran right into whatever they needed i think he bumped into whoever was coming off a screen because he was waiting there for him because he had switched to that person and knew what action was coming and again today at the very last moment Giannis and jabari switch and they move Giannis from i think jabari was on the ball they moved jabari off the ball to uh al horford but what they were really doing was setting up a switch for for jabari that Horford was going to come set a screen away from the ball. It was supposed to bring, I believe, Jalen Brown to the ball. And instead of someone chasing, it was just right into Jabari. And Jabari was right there. And then, like you said, it a lobbed pass over the top to Morris for a fadeaway one-on-one in, in the ba- like on the backside. And also they said uh, Brad Stevens was talking about how Brogdon read it perfectly. Yeah. And knew that he needed to switch to make sure that they couldn't get the ball to Rogier there um, in that spot as they were trying to bring him from the backside. And it was just one of those situations, like you said, that the Bucks coaching staff absolutely de- deserves credit. They clearly knew what, whether or not they knew the play, they knew the actions that the Celtics were looking for because they had scouted them well enough and they just had an idea of what was going to happen. And again, then also kudos to the Bucks players for executing in that situation and making sure that they switched all those actions in the right way. Yeah. And I mean, Jabari Parker coming in to a game in the last five seconds as a defensive replacement. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, we've seen it all now, Frank. I, I wouldn't have done that, but, um, you know, I, 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 Hey, um, you know, if that's part of the psychology of kind of continuing to keep Jabari engaged, um, then, then okay, because I think certainly good Jabari is, is someone who can help them them in the series. And, and again, like you know Jabari's going to play in every game, so you need him to be good Jabari, because if he's bad Jabari, then he could cost you a game, right? Yep. Um, good Jabari, you know, what we've seen for basically game three, certainly first half of this game, less so in the second half, but that good version of Jabari um, obviously is a, is a big difference. Today, plus 10, um, Thon was plus four, Thon five blocks, uh, eight points, two out of five from three, um, you know, kind of just two rebounds in 31 minutes. So that part still, you know, uh, a question mark. But again, you know, part of it is Fon is so active blocking shots. You know, a lot of it is he's blocking a shot or he's challenging a shot. And then it's tough for him to also grab the rebound, right? So that's where you need other guys to be gang rebounding and, and covering up because he's doing really good work uh, challenging shots. Um, kind of rounding out the bench, just nine guys again today. Delhi. Um, I thought the only play. had one. Sh- the play. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Deli was was very good again with with Bledsoe struggling. You know he came in early in game three and and was really positive with with Bledsoe in foul trouble today. Um, I mean the last well you want to describe it. I mean the last play of uh, last <laughs> two few seconds of of the first quarter. Again, Bucks win this game by two points. Yep. You know Deli may have been the you know every every bucket counts in a game like this and um, what a way to finish the first quarter. 
Yeah, yeah. The Bucks know that they have. I think it was twenty-eight, eh, maybe a little bit less. Twenty-seven, twenty-four uh, game clock to shot clock. So they wait out the first quarter, get the final shot, and it's Chris Middleton. I mean, Chris Middleton looks like Kevin McHale. Hey, I was thinking that exact same thing. He he started off both him and Giannis. What did they miss their first like six or seven yep. shots or something like that? And then Middleton basically just being really patient and showing great footwork. Yeah, I I was I was thinking of like. Mikhail Dalton puns to use on <laughs> I Twitter. Tweeted, I, was like, I tweeted ah, it out. I, I think I said something to the extent of uh, it took me today to realize that Chris Middleton shares initials with Kevin McHale or something of that nature uh, because uh, m- total M- McHale-esque? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, totally McHale-esque moves where he's been hitting that baseline fadeaway for the entirety of his career, right? Like if he gets you on his hip, he's going to go to it. And today he knew the double was coming, went to it, got him up in the air, stepped through, nice glasser. Uh, so he hits it. That puts the Bucks up five at 22-17. And then Marcus Morris, who, I mean, you already mentioned his shooting, but I just thought in general he just kind of struggled. Um, he, he certainly knows how to get people going because he's – Marcus Morris um but I just thought he struggled and he rolls the ball out and Delhi saw it coming and somehow manages to pick it up off the ground and in one motion throw up a finger roll um it, he had to release it four feet in the air like it, it was definitely below his shoulders because he had a swoop grab and float and just threw it up glass good Bucks go up 24-17 and it, it was a huge play. Like there there's really no there's no two ways about it and you look also four assists for Delhi today. Um not the not the team leader. Giannis had 5, Bledsoe had 5, but four assists in 17 minutes, four points, three rebounds, a steal. Uh, that's going to do it. Like it, that you can't get a much uh, much better contribution from Delhi because yeah I mean he's not a guy that's going to score a bunch of points but again you saw I tweeted out the chemistry between him and Giannis is just ludicrous and it's it's so crazy that that's the only thing that pick and roll has going for it that's it like Delhi's not quick enough to get by anyone uh Delhi is not going to shoot it off the three because of his revolutionary war musket release like that's not going to happen. So the only thing that can happen is Delhi can probe and maybe possibly get a guy on his hip and then somehow find Giannis. And it, it it's literally just up to those two guys to kind of know the angles and know the spacing and know um, how they're going to do it. We saw Giannis delay his role a little bit today and, and get a basket that way from Delhi. And I, I don't know. It's it it's it's funny to me that it keeps happening that Delhi is just able to get the most out of out of someone that that's that's such a great player and again most of that can go to Giannis I I totally am okay with that that credit can go to Giannis but he has better pick and roll chemistry than Giannis than Bledsoe does and he's half as talented as Eric Bledsoe like I, I don't even know yeah, I mean the flip side is Delhi's never going to score himself, right? So it's no, it's dependent no, on no. other on other guys doing stuff, whereas Bledsoe can actually get to the rim. Although I, I don't feel like he gets to the rim necessarily that much um, out of pick and rolls per se. Um, and tonight it was just, you know, Bledsoe starts that. I think it was the start of the fourth quarter. He has a little floater like 
you know, rim out. He has a three, um, or I think it was Jabari had a three that kind of like rattled all over the place and nearly bounced in anyway. That doesn't go in. Um, you know, it was tough to watch because the Bucks were continuing to make good shots. And overall, I mean, you look at this game, 104-102, doesn't seem like a big scoring day, but, you know, both teams, 117 offensive rating for the Bucks, 114 for the Celtics. I mean, these, these were good offensive performances. And interestingly, Boston only shoots 41%, but they didn't turn the ball over, and they got a ton of offensive rebounds, 16 offensive rebounds. Bucks get no offensive rebounds, shoot 52%. Once again, the Bucks shooting the lights out for the fourth straight game, basically. Um, and then, thankfully, the Bucks also did not turn the ball over, only uh, 10 team turnovers uh, for the night. And again, the Celtics did have a 16-6 advantage in points off turnovers, um, but I thought in general, obviously, both teams took care of the ball pretty well. Uh, and you know, again, Bucks do get a 12-6 lead in, in fast break points, and again, slower paced game um, than than maybe you'd, you'd normally see. A bit more grinded out, especially in that fourth quarter when things got tight. Um, you know, again, I mean, a lot of Boston's comeback was just guys making shots. You know, I don't know if it was necessarily like bad defense for much of that time. Um, you know, it was interesting. I thought we saw a lot less switching um, in the second half, maybe than we had previously. I think. There was a couple switches where Bledsoe switched uh, and got taken advantage of. I don't know if it was Morris both times, yeah. um, but they were able to take take advantage of Bledsoe a couple times. Um, but still, you know, I thought really I talked about it last time. I thought maybe this game we'd see if the Bucks switched a lot that we'd see Horford and and Monroe in particular like try to pound the Bucks more in in mismatches. And once again, really wasn't the case. Like to the extent the Bucks switched, really didn't hurt them that much and you know Horford just eight shots 13 points in 37 minutes I was happy to see him not as aggressive as I think he could have been and very interesting you know Stevens just didn't play Monroe um yep. he played him five minutes it was minus eight I think that was in the first half when the Bucks kind of made their run and I don't know if we saw Monroe at all in the second half so um certainly the Bucks were able to, to take advantage of that Baines was better 11 rebounds um, including five offensive at nine points and again hurting the bucks on the on the offensive glass but overall um you know the the Celtics big men really didn't take advantage of um of all those you know of of their talent advantage I'd say especially with Horford and Monroe and um again some of that has to go back to Thon Maker who once again was terrifically energetic and in 31 minutes again not a lot of rebounds but five more blocks I still swear I don't know how he didn't have seven or eight blocks in the last game yeah um but, you know, I think the only thing more impressive than Thon showing up after, you know, basically not playing much for a while and having that huge game Friday is the fact that he follows it up again on Sunday with with yet another terrific performance. So, um, again, you know, can't say enough about Thon and, and how much he's changed the game. And, and once again, kind of begging the question, you know, um, do you consider putting him in as a starter? Because, um, again, Zeller only plays 11 minutes. Um, the Bucks did have a did have a period. I think it was in the second quarter, and it wasn't really as noticeable because um, the Bucks were winning. But they did go to Giannis at center when Horford was the only big man. Um, but overall, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they continue to uh, manage that because you know who knows when Henson is back. And again, like I mean, you know, I get guys want to be tough and everything in the playoffs and fight through stuff, but I don't want John Henson at seventy five percent in the playoff game. Like if you're healthy. That's one thing, but again, if if Henson is not 100%, then I think it's right that he's sitting out and you know not risk anything. I don't want guys playing hurt when you know you're kind of a marginal guy to begin with. And he was solid in the first two games, but 
Um, obviously, you know, you can only imagine, you know, what happens if he doesn't get hurt, right? Do we even see Thon Maker in this series if, yeah. um, if he doesn't get hurt? I know Marcus Johnson kind of hinted at before game three that, that Thon was ready and, and was going to play some role in game three. And, and that might have been part of the kind of shakeup that, that Prunny might have thought he needed. But um, again, obviously, kind of the way things have worked out with the way that bench has come through and actually been a, a plus after being such a, a downer in, in the first two games, um, that's been big because we saw in the first two games, you know, Giannis and Chris by themselves very difficult to beat any team when they get no help at all um especially a team like boston that uh you know again they have they do have talent right we don't want to i mean as much as we say the bucks have more talent than the celtics um you know again like when they realize it especially brown and tatum when those guys are playing at a high level obviously this can be a, a very dangerous celtics team and again if you're the bucks you just are thankful that you know you were able to kind of keep your composure down the stretch and make enough plays to win i think we might be at a spot where both of these teams are out of adjustments. They're, 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 and I say that knowing that I'm going to be wrong. And in game five, the, the Abdul Nader is, Abdul Nader is going to come on the floor and do something. Crazy. Like, I understand that. So l- let me say that. And again, maybe Marcus Smart comes back. Maybe that could be uh, what flips this for the Celtics. Um, but it, it just felt like today you mentioned, okay, well, the Bucks weren't switching maybe quite as much as they were in game three. And I think you saw the Celtics have some counters by getting into their action early and making sure that the ball kept moving and uh, the Bucks weren't able to kind of stop things with a switch. Like there were, there weren't those record scratch moments as much with the Celtics today when the Bucks did switch, like, Oh my gosh, what did the Bucks do? It was just, okay, the Bucks are going to do this. Let's keep it rolling. And uh, to me, it just ended up, becoming how often can the Bucks execute and what kind of tough shots can the Celtics hit and don't get me like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are tough shot makers uh, like there's there's no doubt about it but at the same time if tough shots are your offense sometimes things don't go well like it, sometimes it's just going to be tough. And um, obviously they had a, a real nice day today uh, with an offensive rating of 114. But uh, you, I just think about how hard the Celtics are working on every offensive possession. And that was for 48 minutes. Like even with Zeller on the floor, um, there was still – they needed to grab offensive rebounds. And, again, you want to kind of contain that. But at the same time, they're working so hard – and I just think we might be in for three fist fights or two fist fights, however many games are left, because it's both teams turned up the physicality. Uh, the Bucks did it in game three. Celtics responded here in game four. And I, I thought early in the game that might be a concern because the Celtics did look like they were kind of lording over the Bucks with their physicality. But uh, the Bucks answered, answered the call and played just as physical. And I, I don't know, this is – this is shaping up in, to be a really interesting series because uh, everyone has to kind of figure out their roles. And uh, talking to Thon after the game, he had said, like, yeah, of course I, I knew they were going to be more physical. Like, they weren't just going to let me have the impact that I had last game. And, yeah, I understand that they're going to try to stretch me out more when I switch and try to stretch out our defense more and, and try to do all those things. But we knew those things were, were going to be – likely adjustments and counters for them so we just knew that we needed to keep executing and keep fighting and i, I don't know we've found ourselves in an interesting spot where i think thon maker going forward is guaranteed 
certainly 25 minutes, maybe 30 minutes each of these nights the rest of the way, um, as long as he can avoid foul trouble. Um, but I just, one, didn't see that coming, and two, this Bucks team has just done such a nice job defensively that I'm a little bit freaked out by it. Um, I, I don't really know how to, how to respond to it, and I think we're, we're at a spot now where it's just going to be about shot-making and it's going to be about limiting mistakes because I don't know if there's there's any more big drastic changes coming. Um, and again, I know I'll be wrong on this, but it just feels like we've reached that point where, all right, first one of two games and we know each other well. We know what we're all trying to do and who can stop the other team. And, I mean, Jalen Brown, that dude is strong and that – that step back three he hit on the right wing is not fair. Like you shouldn't be able to be that strong and play through guys the way that you can, and then hit a between the legs step back three. Like it, it this is gonna be fun, Frank. Like we're we're officially at that point. And again, maybe it's sad that for me to say that this series is gonna be fun. The Celtics need to lose their all their good players and have this moment. But uh, I think we're in that spot. This is gonna be fun the rest of the way. Yeah, I mean, you know, interesting question, game game five, you know, um, what versions of these teams are we going to see, right? And yep. uh, I think the only consistent things for the Bucks have been Jabari, or sorry, not Jabari, uh, Giannis and Chris. And so you hope that you just continue to see that. I thought in the first half of the first quarter today, I mean, it looked like this was turning into game four of the Toronto series last year, which yep. unfortunately I flew back to attend um and which played no small part in me not being willing to risk that kind of thing <laughs> this year um you know that was a total rock fight that they lost um but fortunately you know again today I, again two straight games and bucks bench has obviously not been good this year um and hasn't been trustworthy that first two games they were bad last two games i mean they they've really stepped up the starters got them off to a good start last game um this time that's not the case and you know kudos to to again the starters went longer this this period too so it's not like you know it was like a line change or something and like you know Delhi and snell and like jabari and maker all together with no starting help like you know get the bucks back in i mean that's not what happened either but um but again they were able to kind of keep their composure even with Giannis and chris in particular shooting really poorly to start the game and everybody was patient were able to kind of get back to where they needed to be and um you know as you said they they finished that first quarter brilliantly well and you know that that was obviously a a big thing for them being able to finish that first quarter getting out um you know and taking another big advantage not a huge advantage but i think it was 24 17 i think at the end of one quarter um and that's kind of set them up to kind of keep that momentum going in the second quarter and again the first two first two games second half of the first quarter was was death right yep that's where they really blew it starters actually gave them leads in the first half of the first quarter the first two games and then kind of other lineups go in and then everything kind of goes off the rails. But, um, 18, but in this game, 18, 15, when Giannis left at the end of the first quarter, 32, 21, when he re-entered. Yeah. It's huge. That's big. It's huge. That's big. Yeah. And, and again, I mean, uh, it's, it, it's so interesting, right? I mean, just everything about this team, it, it, whether it's this series or just the big picture. I mean, if this is the version of Thon maker, you're going to get, semi-consistently next year back in business it's a different yeah it's a different it's a different team in a lot of ways right like the Absolutely. ceiling of this team is different if jabari parker is going to try on defense 
and be as engaged as he was for the you know quarter and a half from or, or sorry game and a half from Friday to the first half of today's game and score and you know do other things and, and play you know a reasonable two-way game yep. um, it's a different team right totally and, and the idea of bringing him back I mean again I don't know what his role is I still don't feel like he really necessarily makes sense as a starter and I think Brogdon's a good example of why it's hard to put any other kind of like offense first guy in the starting five you know everybody wants to always bench Snell but Brogdon wasn't Brogdon didn't really do anything offensively, you know, in that in, in Friday's game. I and mean, he was what two out of eight. Yep. Um, and today as well. I mean, today was a good example. I think why Brogdon makes a lot more sense to to finish than start. Because um, I think late in games when kind of the offense bogs down, like having that guy who maybe isn't going to be used as much, but late in the clock can actually like create a shot and actually do something with the ball, you know, versus Snell, who's obviously much more a spot up guy. I think we, we saw how valuable it is. Obviously Brogdon's biggest play was hitting that spot up three, but you know, he can do that, you know, probably, you know, similarly to, to Snell. Um, and then the fact that he can put it on the deck, I mean, you know, Brogdon missed that shot that Giannis tipped in, but if that's Snell, does no he shot. even get rim? No. Nope, Does he even get a, a shot? At, you know. So, so I think that's where Brogdon's so big is that you know when things bog down, having that that shot creator as you know your your fourth and fifth guys uh, is really valuable. Versus when you start, there's just not a lot of you know, just not enough ball to kind of go around, right? I mean, if you're playing through Giannis, Chris Bledsoe, um, again, like Jabari's not going to score. You know, you're not you're probably you're just not going to have, you know, Jabari score twenty points a game with sort of the way this this team is configured unless things kind of change dramatically, right? Like if you get rid of Bledsoe and bring in like a more of just a spot-up point guard who doesn't like take many shots at all, then and maybe there's more oxygen for, for somebody like Jabari um, or, or even Brogdon. But again, like tonight they scored really efficiently, but to kind of get enough touches for everybody, you have to kind of stagger it. And Jabari coming off the bench, I think the last two games, I mean, to me the last two games have been a great, you know, argument for why Jabari off the bench is is maybe his best role on this team, right? It, yeah. it hasn't said like, oh, that's why they need to figure out a way to get Jabari to start. The last couple of games have been the example of why, you know, maybe that's the best way to do it. You know, just load up and have a stronger second unit with an engaged Jabari Parker. But again, that's a tough question for this summer too. What, what is Jabari Parker's ultimate destiny on this team? And um, you know, is is there another team where he can potentially? have a bigger role, a, a more appealing role, or whatever it might be. So uh, anyway, whatever. We'll have plenty of time to talk about that. But um, at least in the short term, you know, things have suddenly turned and, you know, it doesn't seem quite as dire to figure out, you know, Jabari Parker's long-term future because there actually is a short term to worry about as well. I think it, that's a really interesting point because – so Giannis gets that insane dunk on Horford, right? And the guy that passed him the ball was Middleton. And – as I was watching that, I told Jack Maloney, Danny Cunningham, the guys that I sit next to at the game, I said, as he was, as Middleton was throwing that pass, all I could think was, man, I really don't know if I want to see Middleton not have the ball in his hands at this moment. Just because he's shooting over 60% from the field, over 60% from three in this series, and he had, he had just hit a shot, and he was kind of, you know, finding his rhythm, and that was to Giannis, like, I was like, oh, man, I don't know if I want to see him make that pass. And that was a pass to Giannis, which is obviously a great thing. Giannis should get the ball in attack. But then you also are adding whoever that third person is. 
on a game like this, when things are going right, uh, do you want them to have the ball? I like I don't. <laughs> Giannis and Chris, you guys keep the ball. You guys have been the steady forces throughout this entire series. It should be your ball. It should be your game. And I, I don't know. Like just as you were saying that, I like started to imagine in my head like, what if Jabari Parker was also out on the floor there and. Jabari Parker maybe had something going like uh, how do you try to get those shots for everyone how do you try to make everything work and again that's what great coaches do you find super talented guys and you find a way to make a uber talented team work together and work as one and create great looks but man it, it, it just seems like something that would be to me so incredibly difficult yeah and I mean credit to Jabari I mean because he's added a three-point shot because he, you know, again, I think if he's in a coherent offensive system, he can be a weapon as a cutter, as an off-ball guy. Yep. He's not a ball stopper. He has offensive tools that can work, you know, outside of him just being a number one option. I mean, Absolutely. again, like that, that's a huge plus about Jabari is that he doesn't need to be force-fed shots. He can get them organically if the offense is functioning. And, you know, I think he can be effective when he's always the second and third option. He doesn't need to be the guy that gets force-fed. So, you know, again, I don't want to make it seem like this is all just negative on Jabari. I think part of it is just being realistic about sort of like how Jabari can best be used. And, you know, again, when the defense is creating turnovers and, you know, you're being able to play a little up-tempo. I mean, he obviously is unique in sort of what he can do with the ball um, and and how he can play and when things are a bit more open. Um, but, uh, you know, and again, I, I think that that's one of those interesting things that you have to figure out. And again, like, if Jabari's, you know, fate as a player is to be a, you know, 15-point-per-game high-efficiency guy averaging 25 minutes per game as, you know, a six-man, I, I don't know. It's interesting. I, I think... I think the, the kind of, you know, people who are very pro Jabari, I, I don't think it's like nobody wants to maybe acknowledge that that might be kind of his best use on a good team. Um, but certainly that's sort of more where, where my head is at. And yeah. again, it's it's not that that guy can't be valuable if he's playing defense the way he's been playing defense for the most part the last couple of games. Um, but it's just a different it's it's sort of in just a different, you know, stratosphere of value versus if we just say like this guy can be a primetime scorer and, you know, be this like huge upside guy. Well, is that going to happen on this box team? Right. And again, like there's some moving parts here, but Giannis, we know is the clear cut. Number one, Chris, I think is proving, you know, without a shadow of a doubt here in this playoff series. And again, it's one series, but over the course of this year, I mean, we didn't even see Chris Middleton at his best this year and he was an efficient 20 per game score. And he's yeah. obviously a much better defender and playmaker than, than Jabari is. Right. I mean, that's a really high bar. Like Chris Middleton's going to be your second best player for the foreseeable future. Um, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Right. I think we've always thought of that as like, Oh, that's like capping the buck ceiling. Cause Chris Middleton isn't good enough to be that. But you know, maybe we can also acknowledge that, Chris is really good. Maybe we are wrong. And, yeah, Chris is really good. And and you know what? He may not be as sexy a name as Brad Beal or CJ McCollum or whatever. But, you know, I think the grass looks plenty green on on this side of the fence in this playoff <laughs> series with regards to Chris Middleton, right? Absolutely. I mean, look at look at what some of these other guys who I think a lot of people, including us, maybe midseason would have said, you know, trade Chris Middleton for either <laughs> of those guys. Sixty-one and a half percent from the field, sixty-two and a half percent from three, twenty-five and a half points, six and a half rebounds, four assists per game. Yeah, and and it's again, it's not like Chris is going to shoot sixty percent forever, not. right? No. I mean, but a rising to the occasion is huge and means a lot. 
it means a lot. It says a lot about him. And also the way that the the food chain between him and Giannis, I think, is working now. And there have been Absolutely. times this year where it felt like they were sort of separate food chains. Yeah. Or, or I don't know what the metaphor would be. But um, but now it seems like it's working. The balancing act between the two of them is working. It feels like Chris is getting open shots more off Giannis's gravity. You know, it, it's it, a strange can, yin and yang. Like it's working yeah, now. I mean, it should. I mean, but it shouldn't be that hard, right? It, this is the yin and yang you would have expected. It was weird when it when it didn't feel like it was yep. there. And Chris rising to the occasion defensively. I mean, for him to come up with a really good defensive play on Morris was a sweet way to end this game. And I think Chris's defense has obviously been solid. You know, as much as Tatum and and um, Brown have had times where they've been really good this series, it's not like it's because they're just getting a red carpet to dunk no. and get easy shots, right? I mean, they're when they've been good, they've been making some hard shots. So um, so I think that's been a big plus. But anyway, I kind of digress there. But one one question for you. I never got, maybe, I don't know if it was talked about post-game. I, I was deathly afraid. I was confused. I was ready to be raging in anger. But I was unclear what the review that Ed Malloy had at the final buzzer was all about because it certainly didn't look like there was any foul. didn't look like there was anything on the you know, rebound. Cause that was basically like as the clock was expiring, but what were do you, do you hear anything about what they were actually looking at on the monitor as the game seemingly had ended in arena? I believe the PA said that they were looking to see if a foul occurred on who grabbed the rebound. I honestly can't even remember. Yeah. I don't um, know. Brogdon maybe um, if a foul occurred as Brogdon grabbed the rebound or immediately after, and there was still time on the clock. So it wasn't it wasn't on Middleton's it wasn't on Middleton's contest of the shot. It was on the rebound that went off the back rim. Did anyone follow Brogdon before it hit quadruple zeros? And I I believe ultimately, obviously, that they didn't find anything. But I believe that was I believe that was what they were looking for. Um, and and only only in a game that is as unevenly as officiated as this. <laughs> Like, would that have even been considered? And yep. and would I have even been afraid that something would have been called? I, I hope that when Ed Malloy put on the headset that he realized, oh, this is really stupid. And what am I'm I not, doing I'm, here? I'm going to stop screwing this game up because that was just a great defensive play. And I mean, there wasn't it's not like anybody was actively like tipping the ball in after the shot. Right. I mean, no. it was like nobody was going to get to the ball and take a shot. And I mean, yeah. So anyway, man, I'm going to have to ma- get the boy the i'm trying to think what that was a timberwolves game like three or four years ago i need to find that i think it was yeah. jim, was it jim peterson i'm trying to think who it was Go Ed Malloy! yeah well yeah if it was uh well jim peterson the color guy for the timberwolves is is a really good analyst and um so i, I would trust that he would have said something like that when ed Malloy was was being his work so anyway but um yeah they bucks escape and um you know, it felt unlikely. I mean, it it just if the Bucks had actually blown the Celtics out for the second straight game, I thought I think that would have been probably the most impressive game of the season because <laughs> it's one thing to come out with the energy they had with the crowd on on in game three. I mean, that's that happens pretty regularly in, in playoff series. Um, but to then kind of back it up by then coming back in game four and doing it again, um, that is is even more impressive. And again, the Celtics are not, you know. They're not like a real number two seed. You might argue fine, um, but we've seen them play at times at a very high level in this series. And um, you know, credit to the Bucks for for actually, you know, and, and Joe Prenti as well 
credit to them for actually making adjustments, um, being able to keep the Celtics off balance a, a bit. I'm, I'm going to be curious how much switching we see moving forward in the series because it seemed like that felt like it sort of unlocked the Bucks' defense a lot the past couple games and and for parts of game one there at the end. Um, but it doesn't seem like the Bucks have ever really kind of totally committed to it. Um, and so I'm going to be curious to see, especially with Thon, um, likely to play a big role kind of down the down the last few games here. Um, what what we see from that, but either way, um, you know, I I was I was in Milwaukee. I came back for both games three and four in 2010 when they beat the Hawks to even that series two two, and that was I don't know that was you know definitely the best like few day stretch of my Bucks fandom being able to see those games live and uh, excited that so many people got to have a similar experience this weekend getting to see them. Uh, pull out two straight Friday, Sunday, um, and and being able to play consistently enough, right? Which has been the Bucks' problem. Like night to night, again, they've just been a coin flip. You know, which version of the Bucks are you going to get tonight? For a large portion of this game, it was a very, very good version of the Bucks. Boston, to their credit, reeled them back in, but again, um, you know, Bucks showing some character to to close it out, and um, you know, I think that that confidence, maybe you know, if I'm going to spin it. Maybe it's that confidence of knowing that you can close a game out that's close. Um, maybe that play, pays dividends here in, in the next couple of days when hopefully, um, you know, again, I don't expect them to blow out the Celtics on game five. So, again, you hope they have a chance to win down the stretch. And, um, you know, hopefully tonight, guys like Brogdon hitting a shot, Middleton making plays, Giannis making plays. Hopefully those guys all feel additional confidence to go into Boston and, and hopefully uh, get a win, which would not be um, – expected necessarily certainly um but uh, again like you just feel like the bucks have reestablished themselves after uh, a really shaky first couple games that means the series would officially start right it doesn't start <laughs> yeah. until a, a road team wins uh, yeah. is the old adage yeah. let's, uh, let's start the series let's start the series in game five and then let's <laughs> let's have we finish the series in game six i would i would be fine with that um but again like you know Again, I don't. I don't say never trust the Bucks because I like to. Um, I think Game Three, hats off to the Bucks. You know, emotional game. They come out, blow them out. Awesome. Game Four. Do you trust them to come back and and actually play really well two straight games? Mm, I don't know, but they do, and they play well enough to win. Now, do you trust them to go out and win a road game, which they haven't done yet in Boston with the Celtics? You know hopefully motivated but hopefully also feeling some pressure <sighs> that's tough mm-hmm. and then if they do that do you trust them to come back and take care of business in game six rather than you know stumble and and have to go back to boston for game seven i mean winning four straight games in any playoff series for a team like this which obviously hasn't been consistent all year that's a mountain um to ask right that's yeah. a mountain to climb that that is really tough but again, you know, you you eat the elephant one bite at a time, and uh, <laughs> the first the first couple bites have uh, have have obviously they've they've gone down pretty well. All right, Bucks win 104-102 on Sunday. Even the series, Bucks Celtics game five on Tuesday at six p.m. Central Standard Time. An early tip for any of any of you watching here in the state of Wisconsin, I know we have people listening all over the country and world. Um, so NBA TV, I believe as well, right? I, yes. Um, so again, that can, that can be somewhat difficult, but I'm sure there are more than enough bars in the Milwaukee metro area or 
in your area, wherever you are listening to this podcast, that you can find NBA TV um, if you don't have it at your home. So uh, go ahead. Enjoy the game. Have, have a good time with it. Uh, Bucks win 104-102. Giannis and Chris, solid again. Jabari Parker, best half of his entire life in the first half. And then Thon Maker. Another huge game for him, eight points, five blocks. Uh, I believe, I think I tweeted out, the first player to have five blocks in back-to-back games since DeAndre Jordan in 2014. So it's been a little while, um, and, you know, it's a, it's a big time for Thon to do it. So we will break it all down again tomorrow, get you ready for Game 5 against the Celtics. For Frank Men, I'm Eric Name. This been oh, but but by the way, one one additional add. Um, I'm looking at the schedule. It looks like Game Five will be on FS Wisconsin. So, um, nice. You will not you will not need NBA TV, and I will uh, I'll be jealous of all of you that uh, they get to hear. Uh, I, I assume Jim Paschke and and Marcus calling the game. I, I will be uh, I will be jealous of all of you that get to hear that. All right, for Frank Madden, I'm Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We will talk to you tomorrow.